Father, we are gathered together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you well know. You know us intimately. You know the true needs of our hearts, and you know what our desires are. You know what our trials are, our challenges. You know what our victories are in you, because you're right there with us each step of the way. So, Father, we don't need to announce anything to you. You already know. Uh, and the Holy Spirit's already crying out on our behalf. So we're very confident when we come to you in prayer. But you have asked us to come boldly to the th throne of grace and to, after Thanksgiving, make our request known. So, Father, we do thank you for all things and look to see and wait on you to see how you will work uh, each step of this day and every day. Uh, we do listen for that shout, the call uh, from heaven, not knowing when we will hear it, but we are so sure that we will. And uh, it could be today. So, Father, we're awaiting that as well. Father, please bless us now as we look into your word of grace and uh, may you open it for us today. In Christ's name, amen. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, <laughs> it's very fitting, really, that we open these pages uh, in this letter now, since we've spent much time in Philippians, that other great letter there that has been such a blessing, I'm sure, to you as it has been to me. Uh, the major theme in Philippians is also the major theme here in Thessalonians. Uh, it turns out, and I think by, by the design, of course, of the Holy Spirit, uh, often Paul in his letters highlights something that we ourselves may not think that much about, really, and I think to our own harm, but spiritual Leadership is extremely important for Christian growth. And uh, if we have been guided to leaders who can be examples for us, uh, what a blessing that is, right? Or if we've been captured by others who should not be our examples, how sad that is and how difficult sometimes to escape from those connections. Uh, but... Um, Paul was an example for the believers in Philippi. You remember, I put much emphasis on uh, three verses in chapter 3 of Philippians. This is a perfect introduction to his first letter to the Thessalonians that we'll look into today. So that's why we're reemphasizing that now. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Paul writes there to the Philippians, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. 
So Paul sets forth his example there for the Philippian believers in, in this very, very strong language. Um, to summarize it just in a kind of in a nutshell, he basically says, if you're following me properly, properly, uh, if you're following my example, if you're imitating me in my doctrine and in, in my way of life, then you will do well, right? And if you rebel against that leadership and do not uh, follow me, you will not be doing well at all. And he uses the strongest language regarding that. Uh, I, I believe that uh, very few of Paul's servants have uh, spoken of their own testimony as strongly as Paul is here. Uh, perhaps they have. Perhaps they have done it incorrectly because they were not such great examples at all and were just speaking arrogantly, right? Um, but here, Paul is not speaking arrogantly. What Paul is doing is underscoring the fact that Christ had set him forth as their example. And in fact, in verse 17, that word translated example is the word type, the word type in, uh, in the Greek language. So... He was their type. So the strongest language possible is used here, both of those that are following Paul and those that are not, right? Those that are not, he says he tells them even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross. Now, why why would Paul speak so strongly about this? Uh, and the reason is that Paul's mission was to carry forth the message of grace. And those that stood against Paul were, in fact, promoting things they should never have promoted, such as law. <laughs> and, you know, one of Paul's major themes is grace in contrast to the law, right? The law short-circuits the working of grace. So those that do not follow Paul are uh, rebelling against his teaching and against his example of grace, right? And they're highlighting other things. And therefore, they are the enemies of the cross because the cross of Christ speaks to the perfect sacrifice, right, of our Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross, shedding his blood, dying there, bearing the sins of the world and paying the penalty, right? Um, those that bring works into it, works of law, they are the ones who are, in fact, the enemies of the cross. And that's why Paul's exhortation is so strong here and so powerful, too. It's been powerful for me. I hope it's been for you every time we, uh, we read these verses. Uh, but in Thessalonians, the dominant theme is actually the same. It's just that Paul has another two dominant themes there as well. So there are really three in Thessalonians. Um, the first is joy. His focus is on joy at the very beginning, and uh, we'll look into that shortly. The second is on uh, Paul's example of joy and uh, his example for them. And the third is on an expectation of the return of the Lord. 
uh, and how one's life should be characterized by these three things. First of all, joy, right? That we are his children. Secondly, uh, following Paul as our example of the grace of God working in the life of a, of a sinner, right? Uh, with great power. And thirdly, uh, all of this in the context of the return of the Lord. Of course, that return of the Lord is the rapture, right? To be caught up into heaven's glory. And having our heavenly hope, therefore, completely fulfilled, right? We then enter the new phase of eternity together with our Lord Jesus and all those that have gone before, right? Our dear ones who are already with him, rejoicing there in the heavenlies. Okay, so that's... uh, that's really an overview of the letter to the Thessalonians, this first letter. And what Paul does here is not to to uh, speak harshly to them. And he, he writes in a very, very loving way of them. And nowhere in this first letter to the Thessalonians does Paul do more than graciously exhort them. He never chastises them. He never speaks... Uh, of them in a way like he does some of the other churches he writes to. In fact, the Thessalonians are set forth as the normal or the typical church. In other words, this is what the church is expected to be. So the Thessalonians, uh, as he writes of them, are already that. They're already uh, that typical or normal church, right? And uh, and other churches should pattern themselves on the Thessalonians. And that's really the, the point of the whole letter here. So really, if I were to put a title on this today, it would be the typical church in Thessalonica extolled, extolled, very strongly uh, praised, right? Extolled, the typical church in Thessalonica. <clears throat> so that's where we are beginning today. So as we begin to look into chapter one, we're going to see a clear focus on on, uh, these three things I've just mentioned. First, joy in the Lord, and uh, Thessalonians exhibited that so clearly. Secondly, uh, following Paul and imitating him, the Thessalonians did that as well, very, very carefully. And thirdly, their expectation of the return of the Lord, which uh, uh, influenced everything in their lives. So that's where we are with uh, our study in Thessalonians beginning today. Now, joy, joy, joy. (laughs) Now, joy was mentioned in Philippians, too. It's not as if it wasn't. Uh, It's just that in Thessalonians, it's mentioned four times (laughs) in one letter. And... uh, once in chapter 1, twice in chapter 2, and once in chapter 3. And their joy is actually an example for many, right? Uh, In Philippians, uh, the believers are are to have joy, but there's been a failure in that regard, and Paul has to exhort them strongly. In the Thessalonian letter, there has not been a failure regarding their joy. Their joy is highlighted. It is praised, right? And and that's how Paul begins there. And uh, 
in verse uh, 6 of chapter 1, and we'll read these again later, but I just want to highlight uh, this joy aspect here. Verse 6, Paul says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, joy of the Holy Spirit. So in following Paul, even though their afflictions, their trials, their persecution was great, they did have in their lives an abundance of joy. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That we would have that. What what could be better, really? Uh, Then in chapter 2, verse 19, what is our hope or joy or a crown of rejoicing are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. They were his crown of joy. He's looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ and how the evaluation will be done. Uh, And uh, when the Lord Jesus comes, all will be made known, right? That his hope and joy and crown was in them, right? Uh, Such joy, right? Um, Chapter 2, verse 20, the next verse, you are our glory and joy. Paul can be in great persecution, but nevertheless rejoice. And he does so because of, he says here, because of them. Such a personal connection he had. And then chapter 3, verse 9. What thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for our sakes, for your sakes before our God? He's thanking God again and again for all the joy which they had brought to him, right? And uh, that's just a major, major theme here in this letter. So so the joy that the Thessalonians had was, was Paul's and Paul's was theirs. They were sharing their joy uh, one with another over and over again here. What a blessed thing to recall. Paul, remember, Paul is remembering and now writing about it, what it was like uh, when he was with them for such a short time, only uh, about three and a half weeks And that's it. (laughs) But that was enough to get that church established and on the right path. Okay. Um, Now, that's not all he emphasizes here. And you saw it also in verse 6, right? You became followers of us, right? Uh, Now, there are many dimensions to the following. But uh, one of the things is that... uh, they entered into persecution as he was being persecuted because they accepted the word that he preached. Okay, Uh, and that's what chapter one, verse six says. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, There's much focus in Christian circles about how to be a joyous believer. And most of the time, the focus is on things that are irrelevant to joy, truly, at least spiritual joy. And uh, certainly, the focus isn't often on what Paul puts the focus on here, 
which was the word, right? It was the word which he preached, right? That's what they received, and that's what transformed their lives. And so they became followers of Paul through all of that experience, right? And that's what he's praising the Lord for here, okay? And uh, that emphasis on following Paul is something that needs to be kept in mind. I, I'm not sure whether I'm overemphasizing it. I think not. I think many uh, underemphasize it. And uh, this necessity of following Paul, I really think. In fact, this time through Philippians, I think maybe for you, certainly it's true for me, uh, it's been uh, underscored over and over again how critically important it is to follow Paul and to imitate him, right? It's not a small thing when one chooses not to follow Paul and to follow instead somebody else, some other teachers who are contrary in their teaching. And there are many today on the radio and TV and the internet, some very famous indeed who've written many books and uh, challenge uh, everyone to become part of their special uh, group right um, but one cho when one chooses to follow them instead of Paul then one becomes an enemy of the cross and I think that's that's a clear teaching there in Philippians now there are many places where Paul mentions following him and we've looked at them quickly uh, before there are six places where he directly says that follow me right six times using those words and uh, and then there are several times when he doesn't use the word follow or the word for imitate or the word uh, example but where he nevertheless exhorts them to follow him using other language right and I'll just give you a reference to that I'm not going to take time to read it but 2nd Timothy chapter 3 Verses 10 through 14 would be one of the strongest of those. Second Timothy 3, verses 10 through 14. All of these are in the handout uh, file. You can get on libertymessenger.org a little later today. Uh, our outline today is very simple. We're going to look at every verse in the first chapter uh, quickly. And... Uh, the first uh, verse will be the first point, which is that Paul's, Paul's greeting was multifaceted. Paul's greeting was multifaceted. That's in verse 1. Paul's thanksgiving was well-founded. His thanksgiving was well-founded, verses 2 through 4. And the testimony of the Thessalonians was not forgotten. The testimony of these believers was not forgotten, verses 5 through 10. In fact, never will it be forgotten because of this letter Paul has written uh, to them that we look at today. So Paul is extolling or praising this church and considering it to be the typical, the, the example church for all, right? Okay, um, Paul's greeting was multifaceted. Let's look at verse 1. Uh, Gail, I want you to read verse 1 of the uh, uh, first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, please. 
Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, thank you, Gail. So that seems so simple, doesn't it? And you know that it's similar in some ways to what's found uh, in the first verses of others of Paul's letters. Uh, very similar, um, especially when he mentions grace and peace. But there's more to it here than that. He speaks of them as being the church of the Thessalonians. In other words, there aren't 29 churches of every stripe in Thessalonica. There's the church, <laughs> which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one church uh, represented there. It is the body of Christ as it's represented there in that city. They're not in divisions and denominations and all of that. It's just the church of God, right? That which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So Paul is quite confident about them, and he's, he writes of them so strongly and powerfully and confidently. In fact, his confidence in them is pretty much unlimited because his confidence in them is the confidence he has in Almighty God. He's had much evidence of God working in these believers. There's no question in his mind about it. Then he says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot there, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Um, but grace and peace go together. <laughs> uh, and in fact, one cannot experience the peace of God apart from experiencing his grace. And the reason is uh, grace allows one to rest in the glorious provision of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's what gives us true peace. So when Paul says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying this is what's to characterize everything now in our lives, right? It is grace and it's abundance. Uh, it is sufficient for all things, and peace ought to be the uh, the result. That's something uh, that both communicates our relationship to God. I mean, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We also <clears throat> live in the realm of his peace day by day and hour by hour. And so we rest in his sufficiency, right? So that's uh, that's the way he starts out here. It's a common way to, for Paul to start his letters. But then Paul goes on in the next verses uh, to write concerning his thanksgiving, right? Uh, Paul's thanksgiving and his prayers. Okay. Um, <laughs> notice he thanks God before he uh, mentions the requests. It's an example here of that, too. So... Lisa, would you please read for us verses 2 through 4? Uh, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, 
knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Okay, thanks, Lisa. So there you have, uh, kind of in a nutshell, Paul's whole attitude towards them expressed, right? Uh, He's thanking God always for them. Uh, He's making mention also of them, Uh, not only thanking God for them, but requesting, right? But he's mostly here focused on remembering, right? And uh, I would say we could conclude that Paul was in prayer all the time, right? I mean, based upon these words, but of course that's not what he means. He doesn't mean every moment he's in prayer, but rather that this prayer characterizes his life. He's just always calling out to the Lord in thanksgiving and praise and remembering the Philipp- not only yes, the Philippians as well, remembering the Thessalonians. I have the Philippians on my mind after so long, right? Um, well, I don't know whether our lives are so characterized by prayer as Paul's was, but it should be, right? Should be calling out to the Lord always and remembering. He says, remembering, and th- this is like one of those one of those verses. In one verse, you have sort of the summary of it all. I remember in the past a couple of times speaking on this subject and using just this verse all by itself <laughs> as the heart of the whole message, right? Because it's all summarized here so beautifully. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he adds, <laughs> this is this is not hope so, right? This is in the sight of God and our Father. Okay, I don't think he means there uh, that his remembering and prayers were in the sight of God. I think what he means is that their whole representation of the work of God was pure in the sight of God. That means God seeing into the innermost nooks and crannies and what he's seeing is most precious and blessed, right? Because it is his work, his fruit being manifested so fully. So in the sight of God and our Father. And then he adds this little short statement about election, (laughs) knowing Brethren, beloved, your election of God. Well, Paul must have been very busy those three and a half weeks teaching them. He taught them on the Sabbath day and also probably every day and every night for those who could be present, right? I'm sure most of them were working hard and couldn't be present, but when they could be, they were. He's even teaching them great doctrine, in this case, even including their election of God. And I think that underscores the fact that this whole letter is about the work of God. It's about the work of God in them. It's not about their good works and how great they've blessed other people through them. It's most they did, I'm sure, but it's mostly about the work of God in them. And that's why he can thank God for these things, right? He can thank God for these things because it is God working. Okay, so that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Now, 
he has such confidence, doesn't he? Such assurance. And, uh, and that's all because he remembers exactly how God had worked. And we're going to look at that in a moment. And we get to the next part here, which has to do with his testimony and theirs. Okay. Specifically in verses 5 through 10, it's going to be theirs that's highlighted. But theirs was a direct consequence of his, and that's what he points out to them. So let's uh, see now what the spiritual power of his godly example was uh, in Thessalonica some years before. Okay, so um, Charlie, please read for us First Thessalonians chapter 5, or chapter 1, <laughs> not 5, verses 5 through 8. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much insurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Okay, thank you, Charlie. Now, the, And now just continuing quickly on, Linda, please read for us verses 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how now ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Thank you, Linda. Okay, and thank you, Charlie. Well, these verses now will be our main emphasis uh, because they summarize so well Paul's whole reason for writing the letter. And that reason is simply this. Uh, Paul had come to Thessalonica, which was a great city of idolatries, <laughs> okay, and he had preached boldly there, and uh, the consequence of it all was the establishing of the church in Thessalonica, and uh, God worked mightily through him, and then he worked mightily through them, through him, and then through them, uh, and uh, the consequence was really great, so that, uh, as verse 7 says, even those in Macedonia and those in Achaia were well aware of the work of God in Thessalonica. He said, <laughs> we don't have to talk about it. Everybody knows, right? That's amazing, isn't it? So God's work was multiplied, and that's the way it it, it operates. Fruit multiplies the tree that bears it. It matures, it falls to the ground, the seeds are planted, and new plants spring forth, right? <clears throat> this is the nature of true fruit. Farmers know it well, better than the rest of us, <clears throat> farmers and gardeners, and uh, Unfortunately, there are weeds as well that are able to reproduce in this world such as it is. It's been 
touched by the uh, the uh, effect of sin, right? But uh, for these believers, it was not um, bad seed, but good seed that was being multiplied, right? And you could ask the question, and I can ask the question, how did it all happen? What was the essence of this working? He says it was the work of God, right? How did it all happen? And how could it happen so well, right? You might ask that question. And I think the answer will be exactly what we find here, evidence of. And that's uh, communicated very well in just one word that I love. It's a word that I love. I hope you do, too. And that word is testimony. Testimony, okay? <laughs> uh, in other words, these Paul had a testimony. They accepted it as the work of God through him, right? And then they had a testimony as a consequence, Right? And that was then shared with others. And this goes then multiplying along one step at a time, right, as God ordains. And that's how simple the whole thing is. Uh, in Second Thessalonians 1.10, Paul uses the word testimony. Uh, and he says, thinking back on all these same things, right, Paul's ministry there and then their reception of the message, he says there, Second Thessalonians 1.10, when he, when he shall come, talking about the return of the Lord, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Right? Paul's testimony was believed. Um, and and then in other places, especially in 1 Corinthians 2 and in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes about his testimony before the Corinthians. Similar effect there, right? And uh, his testimony, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 1.12, he says, Our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, and not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly toward you. So there's a nice one sentence summary of the power of testimony, Second Corinthians 1.12. Now, I've mentioned before, and I hope you remember, but the word testimony in our in our Bibles, is a translation into English of a Greek word. And the Greek word is really the word martyr. Martyr is a Greek word, okay? And that's translated testimony, but it's not unusual for those that testify to be martyred, right? Paul would have been martyred in Thessalonica if God hadn't prevented it, right? and so on and so forth, right, in other places. Paul was even stoned, right, and uh, left for dead more than once, right? And he was shipwrecked, and you know the story. Okay, now I want us to look at uh, Acts 17, just so you have the background of this. So, Roy, I'd like you to read for us from Acts 17. This is uh, the historical account of how it was when Paul originally came to Thessalonica. So 
Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. Roy, read that for us, please. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Thank you, Roy. He'd gone into the synagogue, and he reasoned there, and then he left the synagogue. But um, <clears throat> reasoning uh, out of the scriptures, right? Because the issue for the Jews in the synagogue was, is this Jesus whom we heard about truly the Christ? Is he, in fact, our Messiah, right? And, uh, of course, it was the resurrection that proved it without doubt right and uh, so paul boldly preached the risen and the ascended christ as their messiah and savior right and uh, through that bold testimony in thessalonica uh, many became believers right notice it says paul as his manner was when in and he was always as he traveled about from city to city going to the synagogue first right preach to the Jews first to see who would believe, and then he would go forth from there and preach to the Gentiles. It says he was there three Sabbath days. That's three weeks, right? Uh, and maybe a little longer. And uh, so it was his manner to preach boldly that Christ is has come and his name now humanly speaking the incarnate lord is jesus right that's whom he preached to them um, there was much assurance um, there as well and those uh, following verses uh, in in uh, chapter one make that so very very clear uh, and i just want to make a point of that before we finish up today uh, Verse 6 in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, coming back to 1 Thessalonians now from Acts, says, You became followers of us and of the Lord. That's interesting. You remember from our previous study in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So what does it say here? You became followers of us and of the Lord. Well, how do you become a follower of the Lord? By following Paul, right? That's so clear. So, so crystal clear. But then he says, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So it was the great work of God. They received the word. They didn't reject it. They believed what God uh, uh, was doing in, in, in uh, redemption through the Lord Jesus, right? They received that willingly and openly so therefore they became afflicted and persecuted but of course the joy of the spirit was with them so having received the word in much affliction with joy of the holy spirit and then the consequence of that was to multiply the faith right so that you were examples so they became examples like Paul was. 
And that's that word there uh, for type. You became types for all that believe. Elsewhere in the adjoining areas, we're very well aware now of Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. And it says why, verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, right? Not only in these adjoining areas, Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. So what Paul is saying is that as he goes on his missionary journey from Thessalonica, things are multiplying so quickly, he comes into a new place and it turns out people already know, they've already heard uh, what's happened in Thessalonica. Wow, what an entry Paul had then as a result of the testimony of the Thessalonians, right? Uh, and verse 9 underscores the fact that it was Paul's entire ministry. It wasn't just his preaching of the word, but it's who he was in the sight of the people. They show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and uh, so forth. Uh, <laughs> and it says they turned they turned from their idolatry, right? And what does it say at the end there? Uh, verse 10. He says, how you, in verse 9, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Okay? And to wait for his son from heaven. What was their expectation? In the midst of all their trials and tribulations, with all the affairs of life such as they are, for those who are redeemed but still live in this world, right? With all the concerns and cares, what was dominating their thinking was the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's what our hope and expectation is to be today, isn't it? So that's the introduction to Thessalonians, which I hope is encouragement to you because uh, you can remember the ones that God selected to reach out to you, right? And uh, if we remember that well, <laughs> well, we'll be on the right path because none of us started from nothing, right? There are some who began without a human interpreter, as it were, who just opened the scriptures and started reading, right? There are some, absolutely. But most can remember how God used other people to bring them to Christ. And uh, what a blessing that was. And then teachers along the way who were most critical to our spiritual growth. But the challenge is to to have the testimony, to have the testimony that the Thessalonians had, right? And I would just ask you and myself, do we have that testimony? And I would say, if you've been bearing fruit spiritually, you have that testimony, even if you may question the magnitude of it. You may say, well, where is the fruit? Or you may be discouraged from day to day, right? Things come into our lives that challenge us greatly, right? 
but be confident that spiritual fruit always multiplies. And you may not even see the fruit that is born on that tree as it develops. Okay, You may not even know of it. You may never have heard of it. Or someone was brought into saving knowledge of Christ or who was launched into a life of enjoying him under grace through your specific witness and testimony. Well, praise the Lord for that. I hope you're encouraged as we uh, opened uh, the uh, letter to the Thessalonians together each morning. Well, praise the Lord. Any? Uh, do you have any comments? Maybe you have a testimony, any sharing? Uh, any, any questions? This is the time. When he speaks of the wrath to come. Yes. Is he speaking of the tribulation? Yes, uh, it is, and uh, worse after that, right? <laughs> For many. Well, yeah, uh, but I just wonder if he was, I just wonder if he was speaking of that, or he was speaking of the persecution to come. No, I think he's talking about the wrath and the tribulation. I do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's pray, Father God. Thank you. Thank you for gathering us. Uh, and uh, our needs are many, Father, but not nearly as many as we think, of course, because we know that you're working all things together for our good and uh, meeting our needs in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for that and for the confidence we have and for the expectation that this life is not for just now, but it is a preparation for eternity and thank you that you enable us to prepare well for uh, that uh, upward calling uh, into heaven's glory. Uh, it could be even today, Father. We know that you will deliver us from so much yet to come. And uh, we thank you, Father, for, for, uh, for blessing us greatly here today and, and for this good word uh, that we found here in Paul's letter. And uh, may it not be forgotten uh, easily. Please encourage us all. And for those suffering greatly, Father, and I realize we have failed to pray for some of our dear friends, but Father, just be with them and encourage them. And we would ask this in Christ's name. And, and amen. Amen.